0: plushcare.com slash weight loss i'm sophie scott
2: and i'm james gill
3: our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone
2: we'll be chatting with our favorite people
3: sharing uplifting news stories
2: and delivering tips and tricks
3: to bring balance to your lives
2: hello welcome to the balance podcast our guest is john bishop john bishop one of the greatest Comedians to ever hold a microphone. A wonderful interviewer. His show on the uh, the W channel was fantastic. He'd have a a, a heartfelt one on one for about an hour. My mom still talks about the Paddy McGuinness episode. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, great comedian. Great interviewer. Great writer. His new book, How to Grow Old, is just as funny as his 2013 autobiography. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. How to grow old? A middle-aged man moaning. If memory serves, is the, is the is the tagline. But there's so much more to it than that because John's such a beautiful writer, and uh, has, he's such a has such a deep soul, um, and it's such a funny book. Uh, it's one of those books where if you're reading it on public transport, and I quite I quite like this when you laugh so hard that you're getting strange looks. It's one of those. Uh, it's wonderful it's out now I would personally i mean you know u b u and all that I'd recommend the uh the audiobook version i w- with any i think with any com- book by a comedian because they're such great orators you wanna I personally wanna hear them deliver it and it, the book again it's more than this, but the book is almost like John performing. There's more than that because it's sort of a manual for life as well. But there are flashes of John performing stand-up on on various uh, elements of uh, of ageing. But I cannot emphasize this enough. It's not just for middle-aged men. Anyone will find this book funny. So we talk about the new book. We talk about the show that he hosts on Amazon Prime Video called Back of the Net. That is out every Tuesday, 7pm on Amazon Prime Video. It's a brilliant show. I cannot recommend it enough. Exciting news, it's just been announced that John has his own ITV1 show in 2020. So we talk about that too. We talk about all sorts. And to overshare, perhaps, uh, I've known John for quite a few years because John, he won't thank me for this, but uh, John has played a huge role in uh, in. My own, uh I'm trying not to get misty-eyed here. Here's a story for you. This is true. A few years ago, I'm performing to 60 people above a pub. John has dropped in to try new material before a show. He's turned up unannounced. My phone rings a few days later. Would you like to warm up on the John Bishop show? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, so I went from performing to 60 people, which I, I love doing. They're some of the greatest nights of my life. But then cut to, a few days later, I'm performing to 1,400 people at the Hackney Empire, at one point sharing a stage with John Bishop and Florence and the Machine. And there is that moment of uh, the, the night that I run Always Be Comedies in Kennington. And to uh, to misquote Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz, we're not in Kennington anymore. And that that was one of those nights. Um, so yes, I have a lot to be grateful for with uh, with John. Uh, he even produced a pilot that I once hosted. This is a guy that's gone above and beyond. He's a he's a top dude. Because I do a lot of warm up and I do a lot of emceeing and I host this podcast, a question I'll get asked if I'm with mates: "Go on then, what you know? What's such and such really like?" And a name that I will always bring up as being one of the very best—not uh, just one of the best comedians I've ever met, one of the best people I've ever met—is—is uh, is John Bishop. Top, top dude. Um, Anyway, before I burst into a full rendition of uh, Labby Sifri, Something Inside So Strong, which I'll now be humming for the rest of the night, uh, here he is. uh, The great man, John Bishop. His new book is out now How to Grow Old. Buy it for yourself, be selfish, because you want to make yourself, you know, you want to have a good laugh, but it's also a wonderful Christmas present. It's very, very funny. Indeed. And, and I don't think he has the time, but if he did have the time to write more and more books, uh, I'd, I'd buy them every time. They're, they're, they're uh,
1: wonderful. Here he is, John Bishop. Thanks a lot, Elsie. Cheers, Elsie. I've just <laughs> fucking drop water. Oh, here. no. Do you want anything? No, it's all right, Elsie. I'm 52. I can mop up after myself. I've been a grown... I'm a married man with three kids. I'm all right. I, I, I can spill and mop all at once.
2: There's actually a line in the book. Texts nicely into the new book, How to
1: Grow Old. Oh, have we started? Yeah, it's always that. OK. Nice. Uh, it was just... There's no theme tune. There's no dances. <laughs> there's no curtains. We there's edit... No you're on. We edit those on after. I, I, I'm used to you introducing me <laughs> in front of a crowd, so just to go with start is not what I'm expecting. Imagine if I did it. that as
2: your warm-up. All <laughs> yeah I jump started. He's here! Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so well in the book, in the book you say that you've spent more time worrying about your kids than you've been alive. Now, I—I'll be honest with you. I thought, I say this as a compliment with love in my heart. I thought you were quite a cool guy in the traditional sense. So the neurosis that comes across in the book—I I never knew that about
1: you. Well, that's really nice to uh, term it as neurosis. Um, <laughs> I, Mate, I d- said,
2: bear in mind, didn't I'm, the, I'm the
1: biggest overthinker, worrier yeah. in the world. No, you know? I am. Um, that that comment about worrying about my kids longer than I've been alive—it was just that I—I I, I was calculating it when I was writing. It and I was there was there was a section about how to be a parent because what happened? The book itself came about because. The publisher saw that sort and went, you're basically a middle-aged man moaning because I was moaning about being over fifty. So he said, "Write a book about it." And you go, "Yeah, all right." And and at first I thought, "Oh, I'll just slip some stand-up and then write it in." And then and then he said, "No, I'll work with Ian uh, Giddens, who was an editor, to yeah. structure it and come up with titles and themes." And and so some of the themes were not necessarily things I would have thought of. Um, and so one of them was saying, like, how to be a parent, as, particularly as you get older, because your kids get older and your problems change and y- your role changes. And, and so I was looking at that. And the stand-up I've done in the past has always been, as, a, as I entered stand-up, with the kids were teenagers. So it was an easier sort of hook to hang things on. But then you go, well, my lads are now grown, you know what I mean, 21, 23 20, uh, 25 now. So their their combined age is 69. Yeah. And I have worried about every one of them every day that they've been alive. And so that means I've been worrying for 69 years, even though I've only been here for 52. I've worried about them more than I've been alive. But I think that's a common thing with all parents. For sure. Um, so I mean the title
2: of each so the chap the, the book is break, broken up into chapters so there's uh, how to get old dress family friend funny holes fit relevance and end was that the thing is you I mean you could as each chapter ends I mean you could you could have gone on gone on I mean this could have been a three part book couldn't it
1: it could have been and and also uh, it, it was just that I was I was doing it at a time where so many other things were going on so I never. I can't like you do with a lot of these things, and you know, you you you're a writer where you you get into your flow just when you're ending, and you think, why wasn't it supposed like love making? No, but no, but you know what I mean. You get into and you think, oh, why was the first half so odd? Why was why was it so difficult to put into words some of the things I was thinking? When towards the end it seemed easier, so I could do more now, and I should go back and redo some of the first bits. And, and so you'd always have that constant thing. And, and as a, I suppose as a, I mean, you know, it's a stupid title, dear. You know, how to grow old's just daft, isn't it? you'd a that straight away. Yeah, yeah you're in don't the book, die. That, it? That's yeah. what I mean. So. But it is, I guess I suppose, it became what I wasn't expecting, some thoughts on life. Well, you beat me to it. It's a life manual. And it is, isn't it? It's, it's. A
2: pro- I promise this is not paid for content when I say this. You will laugh from first page to last. I mean, even the introduction I was pissing myself out re- but you are a great audience i'm a good i mean I,
1: I, yeah i'll give you that but you, you are such a good audience people won't know this so james does a warm-up for this show that we do on on amazon prime called back of the net and and it, so he does the warm-up which means he gets the crowd going he stays in the studio whilst we do the show and the uh, the producers have said <laughs> james can you go out because all we hear is your laugh during the show and because it's your laugh every week people think there's a paid laughter there's a person who's being paid to attend the show and laugh and that's the same on other shows that you've worked on it's true and and, and people within the industry can identify when you're in the room because of the laughter in the shows that you've worked on the thing the, the thing the, it's not a problem but
2: the thing with back of the net is and again i'm not saying this you could not make a show that's more up my street because it's yeah. football and comedy because the three of you complement each other so well and they cover you know it's covering things that are very dear to me comedy
1: football and sports journalism yeah yeah so it's like, so, it's like a
2: show's been made for so me. so for those know? who
1: don't know it's me Gabby Logan and Peter Crouch so as you say it's oh, it's, it's been brilliant to do love it I'm not of all the shows I've ever it's a lot of shows I've worked
2: on but I can't think of a experience i've enjoyed more to the extent where i'm sure you're the same certain things in the diary and you're like oh god but i can't wait for my mo- it's such a sad thing to admit this i cannot wait for mondays to roll round because that's when we record back of the net to the extent where when it's international week i'm like oh for god when i, mean, I look yeah, Gareth okay. southgate but i'm okay. i'm devoid when it's uh yeah yeah when it's a rest week um it's just so much fun though isn't it that show
1: it is fun and it and it's it's also like again one of the one of the things that I write about in the book is regret, and people often ask me why I left League of Their Own, and I I left League of Their Own at the wrong time. I I it, you know obviously I did because the year after they won a BAFTA. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean I'm not bitter. I'm not saying that i have you know what I mean. No, but I um. And I left it at the wrong time for loads of, loads of reasons. There was lots of stuff happening at, at that time, lots of time pressure. But that last series that I did, there was a few of the studio days that I just didn't enjoy. And that was because the records were over long, the energy was different. But it was the teething process of a show that was evolving. And what I missed was the fact that I was spending time with people that I really liked. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like work, and and I suppose those days where it felt like work were the days where I thought, oh, and sometimes work is work. So there's going to be whatever your job is, you know, as you know, doing gigs or anything. Some days you got, I've got to plough through this, and I've had to see if i have been more experienced, and also, had I just spoke to the lads, you know, to to Jamie, James and Freddie, and said, look, I'm I'm thinking. I might have come to a different conclusion, but you know, who knows? Because the life is made up of decisions and and whatever you are is a construct of all of those decisions. Sure. And if you've got to look at yourself and go, Well, if I'm if I'm a disaster, if I don't like who I am, then I have to unpick the decisions that I've made. But if I do like who I am and the overall result is good, then those decisions were probably the right ones. I mean, I was, again, you beat me to it. Speaking as your friend, mm. you—I
2: feel you made the right call because things may not have turned out the way yeah, never you never know. know. Yeah, exactly. Now there was an announcement yesterday. Can I bring this up? Yeah. I mean, in terms of things have turned out well. I mean, this is so exciting.
1: There's a there's a, a new ITV show. Yeah, there is. Um, it's uh, there's a new ITV show. It's called The Mass Singer. I've got nothing to do with it, Uh, but he made a big announcement. (laughs) Joel Domma is going to. Joel's fantastic. He'll be brilliant. And it's all about people singing with masks on. Do you mean that one? Or do you mean the other one? You've read my mind again. Um, The other one. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's a show that, again, you're going to be working on, um, which is a Saturday night review of the week, I think. Maybe. Maybe a chat show esque, maybe an interview thing. It's, I've got a slot and we've got to fill it. That's basically it. Do you do you ever, I'm a big believer in, I don't, I'm not very really good at it
2: myself, but I'm a believer in smelling the roses. Now, I know because I've read both your books now, yeah. so I know quite a bit about you. Do you ever allow yourself that moment given what you've, now I, I know and my wife who's southern and not working class, there's nothing she finds more tedious than me a northerner working class talking about being northern and working class however let's do this let's let's dive into this do you ever have that moment given where you've come from without making myself cry here given where you come from do you ever allow that moment where you go bloody
1: hell oh yeah yeah there, there, there's there are moments there are in fact this is this is one this is a moment there um, you know I'll show you that's a moment. Yeah, you see that's
2: I mean that's magnificent. Yeah. You know,
1: that, so that, John's just show me a picture of his dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which yeah it was it was a great moment. And uh, you know, when, as a working class lad, I never thought my penis would look like that. But that's what when you get in show business and you end up with a glittery penis, it's like, wow, I didn't think that would happen. So, no it's so John it,
2: it's a picture of John uh touching the this is Anfield sign yeah. at the home of Liverpool with his with his dad,
1: yeah, me and my dad, and they're, they're the things yeah. where you go, Wow! Because what happened, we were invited to the derby last year, and uh, and me dad's been in the boardroom room before, we've had all of those moments. But uh, uh, Peter, Peter Moore, the chief executive, invited us, and we, we and, and in the new stand, and my season tickets are on the other side in what is now the Kenny Doug Leaf stand. Uh, and I don't I don't do that thing of going to the room on a regular basis or hanging around. I go to the game with my mates and we go home sure. and, and you know, we're, we're not we're not you know, we don't have sit down meals and all that stuff. So it's it, you know, to go to a game and I talk about this in the book, taking my dad to the game and uh, and then turn up to my dad's house and saying like we've got to wear a tie and, and all of those there's a whole story in the book about how we Yo, they they were brilliant at at, at Anfield because my dad was going, well, "Why am I wearing a tie? Am wearing a tie to go to the game?" <laughs> and like, so, so I thought, "Why well, are we going to do this?" So I've gone all suited and booted, and my dad's walking. I mean, he's got smart trousers on, a smart coat, and all that stuff. And then as we approached the boardroom, they, they were brilliant. The staff they just opened the drawer and said to me, "That Ah, oh, Mister Bishop, we have your tie waiting." Like he'd sent it ahead. So you know, instead guess. of saying, Have you got a tie? He just said, We've got, and it's brilliant. So he wears the tie. And then what was fantastic is Peter put us, took us down to pitch side. And to do that with your dad, who, who's been a life, lifelong Liverpool supporter, and just to have that moment. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Because I mean, even one of your earlier specials is it? Is it? Is it Elvis's? Left the
2: building. Yeah, that's the one that starts off with the Liverpool mm. montages in it. Yeah, I and mean, even that's. I mean, I'm watching that with my own dad. Yeah, and it, there is that moment of because you were on the way up then, but you, you weren't. You weren't quite fully John Bishop in inverted commas. So to pull off that video with those names, oh. even we were both like.
1: Bloody hell! How's oh, he done that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And you know, it's hard because when you said you weren't fully John Bishop, it's that's a strange thing where you're you're on that journey and you don't. Well, you're counting the you're counting the steps, but you don't know them. You you, it's really becoming if, if you know. I don't like the word, but becoming famous in inverted commas is a journey. And and it is Uncharted Waters. And again, I think I mentioned this, don't I, what I'm talking about, say, you know, that stage where there's a bit where you, you don't know you're famous. There's some people who think they're famous, and they're definitely not. For and sure. They're the, and they're the people who are the knobs that you yeah. see hanging around, and they're, they're, and they're, they're always, always uh they always are invariably dickheads because yeah. they act like dickheads around studios and stuff like that. But there's the the other people who are who are falling into fame, if you like, as a byproduct to what they do. And and I and I say that with the respect to, to singers or 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 actors or comedians who want to do what they do. And as a byproduct, you become famous. Because if you weren't famous, if you were you know, particularly singers and, and comedians, I think, you'd be singing in a pub. I'd be doing pub gigs. Absolutely. It's what I want to do. Yeah. It's what I love doing. Everything that comes after that is a bonus. Um And so there is that little stage that you go through where people come up to you and you don't realise that they've come up to you because in their eyes you're famous or they recognise it and you think you might know them. And there's that little awkward bit where you're going, oh, hiya. Yeah. And they go, hiya, yeah, yeah. hiya. And then I start going, oh, you must know him. Do, do, Magaluf 97? Yeah, do know yeah? Did we go to school together? Are you one of my cousins? Because i got loads of them. Sure. Or a cousin is a cousin. Or... <laughs> and you know, and there's times where I go, so, uh, so uh, how's your mum? And they go, what, the, what do you want to know about my mum for you, dickhead? Yeah, So there is that, journey. So when you're talking about the fully formed person, um, I think that that, that again is, is that's where the book comes in. I don't think it's it's about all of a sudden being, if you like, more well known. And I think see, turning a corner with age is what turns you into the. The fully formed
2: person. A, a, a very throwaway thing, but... So I run this comedy, and i always be comedy. It's a little room above a pub, but the the measure of the man is that when we have a mystery guest in inverted commas, we're all different. Some people like to arrive one second before the stage time, or you know, some person might hide so that someone can't approach them, and I, and I get that, but John will just stand at the bar in the room, and
1: yeah. you, it's water off a duck's back, isn't it? Uh, what's the gig, though? Yeah, it's. I think it's as a comic. It's 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 respect to the to the to the gig that you you. you I I I've done it when when I was doubling up and you're doing club sets. And yeah. You've got to you've got to shoot off after your set and you've got to arrive five minutes before your set. But I think as a, as a comic, you're better if you've been in the room and the act before you's been on. You just know more about the place and and I think I think. You know that's you know that's not me being a benevolent person. That's me being selfish enough you know, to know I want to I want to know what the room's like. I want to watch the gig. Now, for a lot of our for a lot of our listeners, our
2: younger listeners, um, you would have just been a, a a constant presence. You people will have grown up, and John Bishop will have all been in the public eye. So, for those guys, am I right in saying? Would would you say it was was it Roadshow that was a, a breakthrough?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, I came to comedy late, like, like I've said in the past. I came to it late, and then I made the decision that I was going to give it a go. And uh, I sat down with my wife Melanie and said, "Look, I've got this job. It's a good job." You know, yeah, working for a pharmaceutical company. And I that's mean,
2: rare in comedy, I think, because a lot of people working in tele-sales or, or what have you. Oh yeah. But you actually had a you actually had a very yeah. very
1: good job. I mean, like a good salary, um, company car, all the benefits, the booper, the pension. I had I had it all, and I had career prospects. I mean, they there was a line. Of development, where people were going, look, you know, you can go down that line of development. You can either work in the European marketing side, or you can, you know, go over there and then maybe start looking to come back as like, you know, one of the senior managers or towards the top level as an MD or whatever within the UK if they made it that far. But I definitely had a career path I mean, in front I mean, of
2: me. When you say it like that, I mean that's it's, huge,
1: it's isn't it? a pro- proper job, and uh, and then I just. It just wasn't for me. I, I found this thing comedy. I loved it. I, 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 I and the, the love of it is a strange thing, really, because it's you know, you're you're asking people to come and give you money so you can do what you love. It's a bonkers thing yeah. because that's why and that's why you, you you're often get comics all do a lot of charity nights and all the rest because we just like doing it. It's a great thing to do. Um, and so I'd found this thing, sat down with Melanie, I'd started doing sportsman's dinners, which is where I was able to get a lot of the Liverpool footballers to do that thing for me. I started to do uh, sportsman's dinners and I thought, well, if I do a sportsman's dinner and I do some headline slots and then I can get this thing and, and maybe, you know, I'm never going to get better unless uh, I, I, I give it 100%. But also, I'm, I'm a... I'm a married man with a mortgage, with kids mm-hmm. in schools, and, and if I, I I've got every reason not to do this because of that. But what I will do is I will end up blaming them. I will have reached my fifties. I would have not left my job and I'd be saying I could have been a comedian, but I had you lot to look after. And that that's cowardice. I'd have blamed them for my own my own cowardice. And I thought, I can't do that. I can't I've got to give it a go. And Melanie was all supportive. Melanie just went, you know, you know what the outgoings are. That's that's what we've got of it. I don't care how you hit it, that's what you have gotta do. Uh you know, it didn't put it as bluntly as that. Like, but you know, it was that kind of <laughs> it was kind of, yeah, yeah, you've been there, you know what I mean? You've got to and you go right, fine. And it was great to have a target, but then I le- I left my job. Then I went down to my agent, who, who was with at the time, who was a big agent in London, and I said, listen, I've left my job, I'm going to give it a go. Let's have a look at putting a tour together. And they went, just don't think you can do a tour. I went, what? He said, I don't think you'll be able to do a tour, so so I think maybe you need to uh, you know, stay on the circuit and we'll see what we can do. And I went, I've just left my job. I said, and you've got no faith in me. So I left them. I left my job and my agent the same week so I had no agent and no job and I spent 2 years uh just building it up trying to I did I did, a, I did a, a a couple of minor little tours uh and then but I but in the northwest I had the following I was really yeah. lucky that I had a following and uh and that following gave me a little bit of faith and uh and then I eventually after 2 years of doing that got an agent uh Lisa who then Phoned around people, because she came to see me in Manchester on one of these tours I was doing. I was doing the small room at the Lowry, 550 people, sold out. That's a lot of things, that's a, that's uh, a lot
2: of people.
1: Yeah, sold out, uh, got a standard ovation at the end, did two hours. She went, she said, but no, I've never heard of you. No one's ever heard of you, how come? And she phoned around all the TV booking people, and they went, well, come on, let's be honest, he's like he's nearly 40. You know what I mean? So he, he well, I was at that point. He said, you know, he's not. So he's not a young kid. He's not a new act. Um, you know, in terms of the young shiny kid, he's uh, his accent's a little bit. Not sure that will work on some of the shows. And and one of them actually said, I don't think he looks funny. So she came back with that, and I went well, bollocks to them. Then I said, because I'm not. All of those things that they've said, I can't change. I can't be younger. I can't change my accent and I can't change the way I look. So I'm just gonna carry on being me and hopefully the penny will fall. And luckily for me, there was a chain of events where the penny did fall. You know, and that chain of events was Jonathan Ross being taken off off BBC One for a bit. So they had to come up with something, which is how Michael got the road show, because Michael got the road show, um, I got an opportunity to get on BBC 1 cuz they basically put people on the road show who had not been booked for live at the Apollo. It was like live at the Apollo B level. Um and so and and I didn't know any of this. Oh yeah, yeah. So so I didn't Addison, realize this chain of events. Well, well I I owe a lot of the success to 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 my 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 current agent Lisa and my old Agents as it were, Addison Creswell. Addison Creswell ran uh, off the curb, and so I was being managed by Danny, who was one of the younger agents then, who's now a, you know a huge name in comedy. But I was uh, so Addison was the big guy. Addison was yeah. the man, mm. and um, and he I was mean, look, a legend. Yeah, yeah, looking after Jonathan Ross, and so he was the executive producer on Live the Apollo. Executive producer of Jonathan Ross, um, and and, I, and I, I'd only met him once. And that was when off the kerb were telling me to leave my job. And so they said, look, and I got the phone call saying, look, we all think you're really good, you could do this, but you need to leave your job. I said, well, look, I can't do it. He said, well, Addison wants to meet you. So this is a big, t- you know, I've had a call from the emperor. So I'll go down. I mean, I'm, I'm in, don't I'm, call the Yeah. So I'm in London. Danny takes me into the office. And it's this this fella comes steaming in in a purple suit. And he, and he went, John, John. I fucking like you. I like you, Scarce. I like you. Leave your fucking job. I went, mate, I can't. I earn too much. He said, what you earn? 25 grand. I said, no. He said, 35. I said, no. He said, 45. I said, no. He said, 55. I said, no. He said, keep your fucking job. I walked out. And that was the end of the meeting. I went, was that it? That was it. (laughs) Literally, it lasted 90 seconds. Keep your fucking job. gone. So then... So then when I, I left, you know, they all knew the stakes of, that were high and they just said, Well, we can't guarantee anything. But but so I left them and then and then a couple of years later, the opportunity comes up via Lisa, Michael's show comes up because, as legend has it, he's in the BBC. The BBC say, look, you know, we're in a position now, we've gotta give uh Jonathan time off. He's gonna take time off after the the Russell Brand situation. But what are we going to do with the sloth? So we, to which he said, why don't you put Michael on? Michael will do a road show. We'll get all the people that we haven't got on live at the Apollo. You know, great, great. So it's a quick fix for them. So then they get me on to get me onto that, and I'm outside the catering van uh, on the day of the recording with Michael's show. And uh, and he comes, he comes up to me, Addison. He went, Oh, Scass, I fucking told you I'd get you on the telly. I went, Mate, you haven't got me on the telly. I said, This is a new series of a new show. We don't even know how many people are watching it. I said, You've got me on the telly when you book me on Live at the Apollo. So that night, I go on. And, you know, it, it was a big thing for Michael. It was great that Michael, you know, allowed comics to come through as well. You know, it was a big, yeah. Yeah, it was a big supportive thing. Yeah, yeah. So I get the slot, I go on. I do it. Uh, whilst I was on stage, Addison, who was there, uh, spoke to Lisa, phoned Lisa, who was also in the building, and booked me on live at the Apollo. Whilst I was still on stage, nice. he said, "I'll Madden. book him on. The, I'll book him on live at the Apollo." And then when they booked me on live at the Apollo, they booked me for the long slot because each series used to have one person who who got a long slot. So I didn't even share the show with anyone. Rod Gilby introduced hosted it, introduced me. I did the long sloth. Uh, and then whilst I was on that, he then booked me for Jonathan Ross in the February. So I did Michael in the July. I did um, Live at the Apollo that November. And then and then I went on to Jonathan in the February. And just to show you how how important that transition was, when I went on Michael's show, the week before... I'd done the Leicester Comedy Festival, 19 people turned up, right, to yeah. see the show, 19 turned up, and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I knew, the week before it was broadcast, I knew I was going to be on BBC One the week after, I went, you're not going to believe this, but I'm on BBC One next week, and I've, I, all I can sell now is 19 tickets, so I bought everyone in the audience a drink, we had a laugh, it was a great gig, Uh And then, my God, and then, and then it it went. So then, when I went on Michael, I had a little tour doing art centers. So the art centers started selling out. And then, then I was growing into theaters. Then I went on live at the Apollo and the tour extended into theaters. And then, and then I booked a couple of arenas, thinking fingers crossed. I went on Jonathan Ross. So when the week before I went on Jonathan Ross, I was selling about twelve hundred tickets a week which was brilliant. I went on Jonathan Ross and the week after sold twenty two thousand tickets. And you go, Wow, something just happened. But each of those steps, Addison Creswell could have said no. Sure. He could have said no, he left our agency, bollocks soon. But he didn't because he loved comedy. And he and he was and that's the thing I've found with the community, I'm sure you do. It's very supportive. People oh. don't don't deny someone who's good.
2: Totally. It's more supportive than people realise. Yeah. And also, credit to you. You then paid that forward because the a lot of listeners broke I don't think they might they, they won't realise this. I flagged this to other comics, they don't realise it. But the John Bishop show, in turn, broke through a whole wave of of stand-ups, didn't it? Because there were lots of people. That was their first yeah. stand-up performance on telly. They're now household names, a lot of these guys. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And But that was, again, that was a show that we did on BBC One and it, and it was great while well, it happened, but we kind of, because it was stand-up and music, uh, and I, I wanted to carry it on, but I wanted it exactly like that. And what the BBC wanted was an earlier show. They basically wanted what Michael does now. Yeah. Uh, and so they were doing a bit with me and a bit with Michael. and I just said, "Look, I think, I think that's what I want to do. That's where I am more comfortable." You got to pick a side. and Michael's better at that. And Michael shows a you know huge success. But, but so, I think I think I'm right in saying you helped break through people such as
2: Nish Kumar. That was it. That was yeah, one yeah. of his first yeah. stand up performances on BBC One on a, on a Saturday night. Phil yeah. Wang. Phil Wang. Yeah. City Ward. Yeah, yeah. Pete Furman. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, there's yeah. all all uh, there's all manner of people oh, I mean, yeah, that was yeah. their, that was their first. Zoe
1: so lines. Yeah. So it's it's some great people.
2: Great people. Uh now then one thing I wanted to flag was Ken Loach. Yeah. So we all know you as this we all know you as a brilliant comedian. But there's not many stand-ups who get to a lot of stand-ups I think dream of playing that straight role out that you know the dream of being oh, an actor. So how did I still do
1: yeah. I love it. I love the idea of doing that. How how did that come about with uh with Mr Loach? Uh how did it come about? I was in a play actually in Liverpool called One Night in Istanbul. Uh and it was a play about uh Liverpool winning the Champions League and um and then there'd been this uh call to, to you know Ken Loach doing auditions in Liverpool. Uh don't know what for because he won't say but where you go and uh, go and audition so when you go and audition with Kent there's no um, there's no script everything's an ad lib thing uh, and he didn't tell you what it is he'd just say look there's this there's a character I want you to
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
1: nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health care For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Play, but it got me with a couple of other people and I'd say, right, what I want you to do is your son has been uh, bullying his son because he's got a a, a a black child, so your you your son's been bullying his son racist. So he's come to tell you about it. And then he'll say to the other actor, right, you've got to now have a go at him for his son being racist. And then you've just got to play off that. And so you do, and then he'll swap it. And then you're you, the other one do it. And then he'll throw something else in. And uh, so I did it. I went through the process and I ended up getting this part of uh, Frankie in Roots Irish. And, uh, and And then I got that phone call. I got the phone call to say, listen, you've got the part... Um it's you. It's uh you're you're gonna play uh Frankie uh with uh with uh Andrea Lowe. She's gonna be your girlfriend. Mark Womack is gonna be your best mate. It's gonna be about you three. Ken's gonna phone you up because there's no script, you don't see the script. So Ken's gonna phone you up and tell you something about the character. I thought this is this is it. This this is this this is it. I'm in a film and I'm in a Ken Loach film, which is a dream because I've always been a fan since, I mean, Ke- since Ken. Hell. So Ken phones you and says, "John, I've got to tell you about Frankie." I said, yeah, Ken, I get it. I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me something that I've got to carry with me all the way through the script, all the way through the film. I've got to hold it, not reveal it to them. I know how you work, Ken. I've read all the books. I know. I'm 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 ready. You tell me the backstory of Frankie. He said, okay, you're dead. I went, what? <laughs> I said, oh, for Christ's sake, Ken. He said, yeah, sorry, mate, you're dead. He said, the whole film is, is about, you know, is where you pop up is flashbacks. The whole thing was about <laughs> Mark and Andre and all they work their relationship you're, you're just popping in and out and oh no, for fuck's sake. Yeah. You put me in a film and killed me before I even got in the film. And but then what we did, we did this whole thing where we went over to Jordan because it was about uh, Iraq and uh, private security in Iraq and and, and how they were out of control. So we went over to Jordan to film the Iraq bit. We're flying back on the plane. And uh, and obviously I know that's me done. I know I'm not gonna see them all when they do the rest of the filming in Liverpool. So they uh, everyone lands with saying, Yeah, see you next week, see you next week, all that stuff. And 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 they were told when they arrived that like, you've got to get dressed in suits. Uh, I think they were told they were going to a, ah, so a, can, a wedding can, and then uh, and then he just came in and said and Ken came in and said this isn't what you think it is this is a funeral Frankie's dead and 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 that was the it and, that. and 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 like I couldn't phone anyone during the the thing they were told to just remove my number from the phone and just he's dead 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 and i I went back Phenomenal. and did I went back and did a couple of days filming for uh that that got dropped into it as well to enhance the story. But it was uh it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. And obviously he went to the premiere and everything, went to Cannes, went to the Cannes Film John. Festival. It was amazing. So the audition though is the process to find out because he, he wants naturalistic performance. Yeah. And he wants naturalistic performance. And I keep on saying that I still see Ken. I, I love him. I have such a g- great time with him and uh, the writer Paul Averty. And um I give us another one, and he's going. You know, because he won't cast people who are recognizable either. That's right, sure. You know, you've got to see the world as as it is. I think he he will go down as one of the best filmmakers we've ever had because he he's he's a documentarian as well. You know what I mean? He's I do. Using film to say something, uh, and I think you know. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of virtue in that. I, what I've I suppose I've come to accept as well is that there's a lot of virtue in entertainment. Does making people laugh and making people happy for a short space of time is a brilliant job and I, and I think something to behold. Uh, but also you need people like Ken there just to go actually, you know, this is what's happening behind the curtain, This is the real world. He's holding a mirror up to society, isn't he? I mean, I watched.
2: Paul, Paul Cow's his first film, isn't it? Yeah. I watched Paul Cow not that long ago.
1: Still totally holds up. Oh now. I mean, yeah, but but if you I mean he I mean, starts as a documentary maker anyway, but if you if you look at at, at um at, if you look at his um I suppose his 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 whole thing is to drive towards social injustice, you know, to try and and, and, and reveal uh and and there's always humour in it, and he loves working with comedians. He loves comedy, um, and yeah, he loves fo- He loves football. Yeah, sure. He loves football as well. So he's just great to be around. He's got great energy. Uh, but when you say he's holding the mirror, and I think it's different than a mirror. Yeah. What what what, what he he's not holding a mirror because the world that we see isn't the world he's shown us. What he's doing is he's taking us round the corner. He's showing us what we walk past what we don't notice. And You're I think, absolutely right. And I think that is, you know, this, this, this current film that he's got... You're right. Sorry so, so we missed you, is, is all about delivery van drivers. And we've had it. We've all had it where a driver comes and he's rushing, and he think, well, he was abrupt or he's rude or, or you know, he's waiting for you to sign because they're on a time. And there's this, there's this in-work poverty and this economy uh, that applies so much pressure to so many people that we don't notice we're just getting another delivery. I mean the scene from again
2: I'll try not to well up but the scene from I, Daniel Blake where the the mother <sighs> collapses collapse, <coughs> collapses at the food bank. I mean yeah, it's not yeah. uh, <coughs> a church near near my house. Yeah. there's always a sign for the food bank. I can you know I, you know we but you know we do, we do what we can, but we I can't walk past that sign without thinking of the moon yeah, falling I mean that's, yeah, that's yeah, Ken's but, genius,
1: but, but isn't it? it's also that, that thing as well. Where I have a big thing with 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 that because food banks are one of those things that are an abomination. There's no way that we should have earth. food banks, but it's become now an accepted thing. And you know, and 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 it's it's one of those things where you have to work often uh, to ensure that charity doesn't become a, a subsidy to the state. <laughs> Which you is know, exactly what's
2: happened, isn't it? What's
1: happened is is people go, well, you know, it's become a thing where people end up getting tax credits and so on because their employees are paying them too little. And and like and people are grafting their arses off. We have food banks where, you know, over a million bags of food we given out last year and that's a million mm. bags of food and you don't and again if people don't know this you don't just wander into a food bank you have to qualify somebody said you are your your status is low enough for you to qualify to receive free food in the fifth richest nation Amazing. in the world where everyone's arguing about the billions of pounds for Brexit and and all of these, you know, while we're in the middle of a general election campaign, everyone's got a wish list, we're going to spend 20 billion on this and 30 billion on that. You know what? Just take 500 million of that, which is a figure that, you know, is huge, and eradicate food banks and stop people sleeping on the streets. Just do that. and 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 the rest of it, I couldn't give a shit who's in governments. <laughs> just do that and make the world a little bit better. I mean, the, the homeless thing. You know, when I was, you know, you,
2: you remember when you were a toddler, you walk past a homeless person, and, and as a kid, you go, "What's that?" And your your you mum or your grandma and whatever says, "Oh, it's a homeless person." And at the t- you know, at a young age, you're like, "How is that a thing?" And then you just sort of ridiculously accept it. And then it's for me. I mean, I'm 41. It's only in recent years. And I i am not trying to sound like smash you nicely, but I, you know, I set up a, a direct debit each month because you're like, how 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 is this a thing in 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know? and
1: and and again, it's it's that it's that thing as well where you have to say, well, surely we can be better, but we can't be better while we're divided. And at the moment, we're too divided. And hopefully, hopefully, as a society, we'll we'll we'll, we'll pull together again because this is a brilliant nation. And this, we've got so many fantastic things and so many brilliant people. I think sometimes, though, that the, you know, whilst you're looking at the you know the shiny lights, you're missing the the, the people in the dark corners. And I just think that needs, hopefully, more attention.
2: No, I'm not, I'm not being glib when I say this, but I mean the. Uh, I'm like you. A huge, I'm a huge fan of sport. I felt I felt the World Cup last year was a great thing to unite us. What what. What do you think it'll take? What how can we get reunited?
1: Well, it's the Euros next year. <laughs> Which is ironic, isn't it? Imagine us winning the Euros after we've left Europe. <laughs> oh, Gareth, please make it happen. But yeah. I
2: mean I mean, genuinely, what what do you think the answer is? Will it just will it just will time be a healer in that regard, you think?
1: I, I personally I think we need to look at the relationship between politics and big big business. I yeah. think we need to we need to look at, at what we regard as success, you know. And and I'm the same, you know. Like I'm not some guru who knows anything. I've I've learned that some of the pressures I put on my kids were probably unnecessary. Because I, you know, they went to a normal school. They did the exams. I'm pressuring them to do GCSEs, pressuring them to do A levels. They're going to do the grades, or anything. I'm going a minute. We 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 within our education system. Oh you know, are we not necessarily investing in the wrong areas? I think education is the most important thing. I think teachers are the most valuable people in our society. And and the turnover rate is too high, the pressure on them's too high. Yeah. The results that the 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 driven by are not real tangible results. What we need to produce is good people. We don't necessarily need to need to produce people with loads of exams because we're selling our education system off anyway because you've only got to go to any university in this country and see how many foreign students are there. There's loads of Chinese students coming over because the universities can charge them more because the market economy is what the universities have bought into. So they're saying, well, we can charge them, you know, more than we're charging you. So let's have them. Does anyone not think that one day they'll stop coming? Because one day they'll be setting up their own universities to achieve the standards that they want to achieve, and then we'll have an infrastructure that won't work for us because we've we've geared it towards the market, we've geared it towards the biggest payer. And I think I think what we need to do is we really—I mean, I'm I'm rambling now, but I Not think what, of, what what we need to do is as a society is recognise the value in all of us not recognize the value in the wealthy not 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 necessarily just just throw everything towards you know the poor we need to say like the poor the wealthy we're we're all we are all on this one rock this is only one rock and you know you've got to be realistic people are not um you know people are not equal skilled people are not equal abilities people are not equal in their um i suppose their ambition or their energy, yeah. we're not equal, but however we are interconnected, and we need to be interconnected. And so, yeah, you reward success, but you also make sure that the the top is not so far away from the bottom, because if you do that, you're on a ship, you'll sink. You know, the, the 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 can't be that imbalance. And I think, unfortunately, there's an imbalance in society now. I think I've never really noticed before. The extreme of it. It feels more recent, doesn't it? It feels recent, and I think it's a, it's a result of the austerity measures where, we, where we've we ended up with this in-work poverty, which is just, it's Victorian. You know what I mean? It's Victorian. And I'm talking by somebody who's in a, a ridiculously privileged position, but if someone turns around to me and goes, well, look, we need more taxes from you so that we can address this, uh, absolutely. Sure. Not bothered. Why? Why, why not? I I give you a great example, and it's a philosophical way of looking at things. We were in um, we were in Sweden, me and Melanie. Yeah, we went to Sweden for a few days. We ended up staying at the ice hotel and stuff, and uh, and we had a lad who was a guide, and he was driving us around. and We got so into him, and he said, "Oh, I'm I'm a guide in the winter, and in the summer I work in schools. I'm I'm a teacher in schools." Uh, he said, "But I like." doing the guy in the winter because that's when a lot of the tourists come i said okay i said so how does this work for you in terms of like like income and stuff like that because you don't know how many get. he said i'm doing well he said I, he said I, he said i actually got into the highest tax bracket this year i said what do you mean he said no he said I, went, I I got into the highest tax bracket i said so you think that's a good thing he said i think it's a brilliant thing he said, in Sweden, that's what we, everyone aims, so that they're paying more tax. He said, because this country gave me everything. My education was free. He said, the country's given me the life. So the, the the sooner you can get to the level of your paying back more tax, the better you feel about yourself. So it's a mindset thing. It's a mindset.
2: Well, I feel like that's a... I know I know you've got to go. That's a, That's a very... Genuinely, That's a lovely, uplifting way of looking at things, though, isn't it? It is. Isn't to it? strive to Just, hit that bracket in order to, 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 to help everyone th- else. Th- thanks
1: a lot. Thanks. Was it? The,
2: was it the eighties where it we all got it all got selfish and got into? I, our... You know
1: what? I think. Yeah. Listen, I'm not uh, a political economist, but I would say that we what happened. It, it was fatalism. Fatalism came in, uh, and with fatalism. Fatalism presented opportunities to family like mine to go and buy your council house. But what that did is it started taking housing stock out of out of use for the community. Yeah. Uh, and it was great, it gave people a sense of pride and so on, but you know, it also became a them and us. You've either you've either bought your house or you haven't bought your house. It promoted and, a and, selfish
2: culture, didn't it? And
1: you know, and and I think I don't think the intention was that, but that's what's happened. And I think you just then start looking at everyone look after, look after yourself first. Look after yourself first. Look after yourself first. And that's always, you know, even me, my loyalty starts and ends at my front door. My family, the most important thing to me. But I think when I get past that front door, I don't want to walk into a broken world. And so you can't have this. It's all about me. It's all about me. You have to have it's all about us. And if you you know the reason we've got homelessness is we've simply not got enough built enough homes, and we haven't got enough homes because we don't build enough what they call social housing, because social housing is now is is not regarded as a as a place to live. whereas, you know we grew up on council estates, you know I the estate I I, I grew up in was a lovely estate. There's not it's sort of a a, a byword now for a negativity. These are not negative communities. We just need to to readdress things. None of this is in the book, by the way. But it's it's it's, it's, no, it's really thought. fascinating. It's bringing back that feeling of it's that community thing, isn't yeah, it? But that's what this is. That's what a podcast is, isn't it? This is where, because I've listened to yours, you end up having conversations with people that they didn't intend to come in and have a conversation. <laughs> no, with. Exactly right. But that's what a podcast is. Yeah, and it it, it it allows people sometimes to to share share things that are bouncing around the head.
2: Well, one thing I did want to ask so, somebody's been with his wife for you, you do write about this in the book. I've been with my wife for 10 years, you've been with Melly since 1993. Help me out. What's the what, please, for the love of God, how do you keep that relationship
1: happy and fruitful? Um, well, we have there's a kind of two week thing that we have, uh, where if I go away for two weeks, it's too long. And if I come home for two weeks, it's too long. So that <laughs> little bit of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um and it's hard. Listen, relationships are hard, you know, n- marriage know what, is hard. Not of people talk
2: about that. I I will happily admit this. Marriage, no no one wore me how fucking hard marriage Oh listen,
1: I'm doing I'm doing a whole bit in the in me stand up at the moment about how hard it is. You know what I mean? How 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 you can be in the same room as that person who, who who you you would die for and look at them and think God will you just fuck off you know what I mean yeah. just be somewhere else just don't be near me but that's you'd be like that with your best mate you live with your best mate for ten years you'd be like that and I think I think the it's it's difficult and there's no easy thing apart from that you've got to work at it you know, you've just got to work at it. You've got to remember that, you know, on a wet Wednesday, in in the middle of an argument, you know, where you you think, I could do without this. You think, yeah, that's in the middle of an argument. But on a wet Wednesday after you've done a gig and you've gone home, do you want to go home to an empty flat? Or do you want to go home to somebody asleep in the bed? You know, do you want to go home? Do you want to go home and, and... Nobody's moved a cup since you left the buildings that morning, or do you want to go home and wipe up someone else's toast crumbs? That's the difference in it. That's good, man.
2: I was—I mean, I've got—you <laughs> know—I'm doing—I'm doing a set on Harry Hill's uh, show. Oh yeah, club night, and I do a bit on. I was single for twelve years, and <laughs> it's only when you look back that you realise those single years weren't. Because a lot of people look back with rose-tinted specs on the single years. I absolutely do no, not. I couldn't be more grateful to... Yeah, yeah, no. yeah.
1: Uh, it, it's a partnership, but you've got to be friends. You've got to be friends. I think you've got to be friends and you've got to fancy each other. Because if you don't fancy each other, you might as well be friends.
2: Yeah. Emily, if you're listening, I still love you. Um, now, I know that you've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go and do... Oh, shit, I've got to go. But, um, mate, this could have been the first of a...
1: 20 parts whether you like it or not my friend oh no this is this is yeah listen th- this has been a nice t- there's no reason not to do it again <laughs> it's a nice thing to do unfortunately I've got to go up and do another interview before now before you do go do you
2: I don't think you always re- I, do. I don't think you always realise how fu- I, bet you, I bet you hear this from other people you don't realise how funny you are do you because there's bits in this book where I'm pissing myself and I've been listening to the audio book as well And I know that I flagged something to you on the Monday. And I think a part of you thought, I bet I didn't even need that to be
1: funny. Do you know what I mean? No. Funny, like, falls off you, doesn't it? It's, I don't know. You know what? I, I, I sometimes think, right, I want to understand why this works. And then sometimes I think, I just don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't wanna I don't wanna think, oh god, I need to do that's the gear I need to be in to make this work. I, do, I just wanna just be me. There's, the gap between me on stage and me off stage is so small that it's imperceptible. And you know yourself when there's when there's comedians, there's some people you go on stage and the and then you come off stage and i I I am just me. I'm just lucky that I can find a way of Putting words in a certain order to explain the way I see the world, and it makes people laugh, and it makes me laugh, and it's the most joyful gift I could have been given. So I I'm not I'm
2: not, in this, I'm not in the same bracket, but Josh Whitcomb said to me in terms of he said you're the same off stage. He didn't realise what a compliment this was. Mm-hmm. It's probably the nicest things, the nicest thing I was ever said to me. You're the same off as you are on, and I was like, that's 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 great. Yeah, well, that's you know? why I like
1: you because <laughs> yeah, but it is though because I I. Well, I uh, 'Cause I found that odd when I first started hanging around with a few comedians and you go, But I thought you were I thought you were bouncy or I, I thought you were the funny or or I thought you know, even even some of the political comedians think, Oh, this would be great when it comes out, I'll have a chat with them about that. And they go, mate, it's just a line. I don't I'm not bothered.
2: John, I still can't get my I cannot get my head around the fact when someone's on stage persona is a certain way and they're totally different off stage, it's still Breaks my brain now.
1: I don't know. I think how much effort's going into that? You must be... Actually, you must be knackered. Yeah. Because it's like two personalities almost, isn't it? Well, well whatever works for them.
2: Well, um, John's off to do the one show. Uh, on the way out, I'm going to... We'll both name the exact names that we were thinking of there. And, uh, John, thank you as always. The book is out... It'll be out now, won't it, by the time I say this. John Bishop, How to Grow Old... Um, is fantastic if you and also if you've not checked out his first book, that is an absolute banger as well. You're in for a treat, John. Uh, as always, thank you from the uh, yeah, bottom yeah. of my heart.
1: Your first book was called How Did This Happen? How Did This Happen? Yeah, that's right. Now it's How to Grow, Up, which was an autobiography, and then it's How to Grow Old, and then <laughs> just how in all of them. It? It's like it's like I'm a guidebook person. Going, you, hey, how are you? But you could write more and more, couldn't you? I'm not saying you'd want to, but you could. I, I could now, yeah, I could now. I, I broke. I broke, I suppose, the, the cloud that was over me when I was writing. And I think that, that made the difference. John, huge thanks. Good stuff, James. Wish it could have been longer. Next time. Yeah. Can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. John Bishop.
2: What a guy. Oh, God, I've got another John Bishop story. You won't remember this. Uh, the, so the, one of the One of the first times I warmed up on the John Bishop show, my wife was pregnant with our first uh, daughter what's that that must be five years ago then Blimey Riley, that's gone quick uh, my wife was was pregnant and in the middle of the recording of the John Bishop show John came over to her saw that she was pregnant and uh, he asked her if she wanted something to eat could he get her a drink I think he went and got her a chair while the show was being recorded this is not normal and my god it made me look bad <laughs> But no, that 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 to me sums John up. What a guy! Uh, huge and heartfelt thanks to John and uh, and everyone who made that happen. Um, and the the new book is out now. I've hyperlinked it in the episode. I can't recommend it enough. It, uh, it makes a great Christmas present. But also, if you ju- if you want to read a book that's gonna make you laugh hard, and as I said in the chat john's one of those people he doesn't always realize how funny he's been so there's there's things he's written in the book that i'm not even sure he's just imbued with funny so there's some bits i'm not sure he's he's going for the laughs (laughs) so i was like what's happening bits from the book that had really that had really tickled me he's probably that's probably a bit of it where he's just like trying to tell the story but you know if you're funny you're funny so uh thank you again if you've enjoyed it spread the word tell your friends The Katrina Balfe episode. I'm going to talk about that till my dying day. I mean, not literally. Uh, I think it's the fifth most... It's just over a week old. I think it's the fourth or fifth most popular episode ever because the Outlander fans totally got behind it. So you've got no idea what an impact. Retweeting, sharing, commenting, all that malarkey. Five-star review, positive write-up. Helps like you won't believe. Uh, Anyway... I'm very grateful. Thank you very much. Um, we are on the socials at balance LDN. I am at James Gill comedy. Uh, oh, podcast at balance.media. Drop me an email podcast at balance.media. And for sales, we are sales at balance.media. God bless you.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better? Well,